Rocky Stoutenberg, known to his audience as Rocky No Hands, is a Twitch streamer. He's racked up over 100 chicken dinners in PUBG, live streams daily, and has over 45,000 followers on his Twitch channel. Rocky is also quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. When I was 19, I got dropped on my head at a party and broke my neck at uh, C3, C4, and it basically paralyzed me from the neck down. And I've been that way for about 12 years. Since then, Rocky has started up his Twitch channel, streaming gameplay always after 6pm and no later than 11pm. Quite the library of games too, not just PUBG. I got Fortnite. I just recently got done playing because I bought the new uh, Black Ops 4. Been trying to get back into For Honor and Rocket League. I use a quad stick. A quad stick is a game controller that can be used by holding a joystick in your mouth. Moving the joystick around controls an axis and blowing or sucking into a small tube will either trigger a right or a left click. It's one device in a world of hardware produced for accessible gaming. I'm Astrid Johnson and in this episode of Soundbite we'll be shedding a light on the positives, the negatives and what lies on the horizon for accessibility in games. You may remember at E3 last year, on the stage at the Xbox conference, where a number of quirky looking controllers hooked up to Xboxes alongside the usual gamepad. These were models of the Xbox Adaptive Controller, a new piece of hardware made in collaboration between Xbox and Special Effect, a global charity that dedicates itself to helping disabled gamers. The base unit is a big white rectangle with two black circular pads on it that make it look like a DJ Hero controller of old. Next to that is a D-pad, a couple of menu buttons and an Xbox logo. At the top edge of the controller are a bunch of different connectors for different labelled functions like power or the A button. You can hook up joysticks, dials, motion sensors, anything that produces an input directly into whatever function you want to control. It works on the Xbox One itself and naturally on PC, but Xbox even want the device to work with the Nintendo Switch and the PS4 as revealed in a GameSpot interview, though nothing has been confirmed about that yet. The fact that Xbox, a monumentally huge company, are leading the way on what is regrettably considered a niche product is a promising sign of progress when it comes to accessible gaming, but it didn't materialize out of nothing. We worked in secrecy with Microsoft for three years alongside their team of engineers and experts and basically built what would become the spiritual successor to the adroit. Steve Svon, the man you've just heard, is the co-founder of Able Gamers, a charity dedicated entirely to making accessible controllers and supporting disabled gamers. In a hotel room in 2011, he and other specialists in the field cobbled together a concept that would eventually become the aforementioned Adroit Switchblade, a big black box that wouldn't look out of place in an EDM musician's synth module setup. It's covered in little connectors, buttons and blinking red lights. The Adroit Switchblade was sort of the brainchild of myself, Mark, Ben Heckendorn, and a couple of uh, evil controllers people. And this device sort of was a bag of rice and some buttons, and we sort of MacGyvered it together and got a good concept. And took us about a year or so. Came out with uh, a working prototype version, and then we unveiled uh, the real version back in 2012. Since then, a lot has changed. Software accessibility functions have become a little more commonplace. Look at Fortnite with its option to have icons on screen that signal where the sound is coming from, and all of the little detailed accessibility fixes in games like Platformer Celeste. 
Able Gamers started up in 2004, and other organisations like Special Effects sprung up a little bit later. We're seeing more and more independent developers get involved in accessible gaming, like Jeff Harback, an NHS disability technician, that halved his work week to start up UK company Lepmis. We were giving clients access to their computers, but then they'd say, well, that's great, but I want to be able to play my PlayStation. And we had to say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. And I got so fed up with saying that that I thought, I'll reduce my hours and I'll design something that will do that and I'll do it myself. Clients started to come to me and I went to see them and look at their hands, their arms, any aspect of their body that they've got conscious control over, they can usefully use to access a computer. Jeff is only one man, but the work that he and people like him do can have a life-changing impact on the people that are aided by accessible gaming hardware. It's a bit grand to say I've seen people's lives change, but I have. There was a young lady came to one of our stands at one of the trade shows at the NEC, and she really wanted to be able to play games with her father. And she couldn't hold anything with her hands, and she couldn't move her legs, but she could move her arm a little bit. So I took this tilt-sensing thing up her sleeve, and then just by rotating her hand left and right, she could control a character, and she became quite emotional. It's a very powerful thing to change people's lives. Jeff is only one of many independent accessible gaming specialists. With how many there are and how spread out they can be, it makes sense to bring them all together under one roof. That's what Ian Hamilton and the other organisers of the Gaming Accessibility Conference are doing. My name is Ian Hamilton. I am an accessibility specialist. I work both in advocacy, awareness raising and in consulting as well. The Gaming Accessibility Conference, or GA Conf, is a relatively new event, with the last year's happening in October. It's a day of talks from experts on what can be done and what needs to be done when it comes to accessibility gaming. The number of talks that were being accepted at general game development conferences was on the rise quite considerably, but they always seemed to be the same kind of talks that we're making onto the lineup. And it really felt like as an industry, we were kind of a bit beyond that, you know, we should be able to get together a lineup just of accessibility talks. And so that's what we did. The ultimate goal of the conference is to gather technicians, programmers, carers, engineers, and writers under one roof and to encourage collaboration. Ian thinks that so far the conference is working towards that goal. We have the survey that goes out after the conferences asking for feedback and we've got really, really lovely comments, not just about accessibility itself, but even from people saying stuff that, you know, it's given them excitement about the industry in general. I think what's really nice for me personally is it's a bit like your wedding day. You're all these different people that you've kind of known from all these different kind of situations all coming together and speaking together. Despite all the work that these organisations do, there is still a lot to be done. Gaming accessibility is still a young field in the industry, and the people I spoke to shared their biggest concerns with me. The industry on the whole is starting to believe that if you add remappable keys, closed captioning, colorblind, minimap, that suddenly your game is accessible. What happens if somebody can't go swinging through the metropolitan jungle uh, as Spider-Man? What happens if you can't use your thumbs to switch the wheel to grab the right weapon? What do you do? Oh, well, I guess you just don't play. It's important that we not jump into the false assumption that something is accessible. I think it's important that we also recognize when things aren't as good as they could be or as good as they should be. A lot of companies now aware of accessibility. That's what I think the next step is that kind of consolidation and start to move towards some kind of reasonable expectation that the players can have that they can pick up a game and just be sure that basic core set of accessibility features will be present. And we're still quite away from that, I think. In a field that isn't considered profitable enough to invest in fully, there are a lot of disabled gamers left to the wayside because of both a lack of attention and massive costs, which Rocky told me a little bit about. 
I mean, it's good that all these people are trying to find ways for people to gain. Really, I can only do so much with my mouth, so the quad stick really is all I can do. Like, the one I use is about $500 without the mounting piece, which is 100 to 250 bucks. It depends on where you live, I guess, because I'm sure the price is outrageous in other countries. Zoran is another quadriplegic gamer who livestreams StarCraft 2 and other similar games on his Twitch channel, No Hands Man. He lives in Croatia and told me that its welfare system is in a bit of a poor state. Paychecks in Croatia are really small, five or six hundred bucks monthly, which is pretty low. And you'd need to give like 50, 80 hundred bucks for some games. It's pretty expensive. When you're not in a country like the UK or America, disabled gaming support can be challenging to come by. Zoran was only able to get his hands on a quad stick when a fellow streamer and friend of his raised money to buy one for him, and even then, with little support in learning how to use the device, he sticks with his usual method. When I start playing StarCraft, basically I start with touchpad mouse and uh, with a stick. That's the biggest problem when it comes to accessibility in games. Disabled people aren't seen as profitable enough for widespread development from large-scale companies. With so little funding, smaller ventures and the independent technicians have to keep costs high in order to keep making these gadgets. But will that always be the case? We've already seen evidence to the contrary with the Xbox Adaptive Controller. It's only really a start though, and we'll have to wait and see what support for the device looks like in the coming months. But it might inspire optimism about where accessibility in gaming will be in the next 10 or 15 years. Steve from Able Gamers told me that he hoped the charity would have achieved its mission. I hope that in another 10 years we're having another conversation about how missions like Able Gamers are nearly complete. I sure hope there's a day where I don't have to complain at developers every week that they're doing something wrong. Jeff from Letmiss said that in a couple of decades time, he thinks our brains will become the controller. You'll probably have neural interfaces. We've got that kind of stuff already in some ways. With the increase in computer power, you're being able to map in real time some of the electrical activity of the, of the brain. And while Ian from GAConf isn't certain of what things will look like in 15 years, he told me a bit about what he wanted to see in the near future. At the moment, most of the stuff that people are implementing in games is stuff that there's already a lot of knowledge around now on how to do. It's just a case of actually doing it. Once that stuff is actually done, that's when the fun will really start because that means that all that effort is going to be put into how to push the bar even further. And that's something that people in the games industry are really good at. It's equally understandable for people not to be optimistic. I ran the script for this episode past some disabled friends of mine and many of them didn't have high hopes. Neither did Rocky nor Zoran. Sometimes you just got to accept that you're not going to be able to do something. 15 years from now, anything could happen. 15 years ago, we were using CDs, so who knows? It would be really hard, I think, for the manufacturers to manufacture the games only for people with disabilities, so I don't really know. I suppose then the most important thing to know is that things have improved dramatically in the past couple of decades for gaming accessibility, but there's still a tremendous amount of work to be done. Without the people who work at Special Effect Enable Gamers, without Letmus and the Gaming Accessibility Conference, and without Rocky, Zoran, and countless other disabled gamers sharing their thoughts and voicing their concerns and enacting change, nothing will happen. Things will only change if people demand that change. So why not consider throwing kind words and support to the people making those demands to make gaming even more accessible in the near future?